Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's going on, everybody? Thank you so much for kicking off your week with us. This is your Monday edition of Fantasy MLB Today. We are a sports ethos presentation, of course, and I'm your host, Joe Orico. You can find me over on Twitter at JoeOrico99 and also at EthosFantasyBB. That's where we post all of our new baseball, fantasy baseball content. So make sure you guys are checking us out over there. It's kind of a slow time for baseball content. We got this podcast, of course, coming at you every single weekday. The writers are going to start ramping up our content uh, come the month of November, which is just a couple days away. Now, it's not going to start November 1st, but in the month of November, we are going to start looking back on the 2023 season as a whole in written form and also start looking forward to 2024 from a couple of different angles, looking at teams, divisions, individual stats. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. Long offseason ahead of us, but make sure you guys are checking out sportsethos.com and Ethos Fantasy BB. We're technically a month through the offseason already for fantasy purposes. I know that real baseball is still being played, and that's what we're going to talk about today a little bit. We're going to talk a little bit about the World Series matchup, and specifically, we're going to talk about the Game 3 starters and how their fantasy um, value and fantasy price has been influenced a little bit by these playoffs. We're going to talk about that. We're also going to talk a little bit about the series as a whole, and what it means for baseball. We're going to start with that right here because there's been a bit of news that I've seen uh, today. It's not crazy news, um, but the Game 1 numbers for the World Series in terms of viewership were the worst that there's ever been, apparently. Now, people will view games through illegal streams and through all kinds of different ways and on playback, and there will be people watching at their friends' houses. So how accurate these numbers are exactly, I think we don't really know, right? If you have a group of 20 people at one person's house watching it, the numbers are going to you know, view that as one person watching it, right? Unless they're surveying people, which I, I didn't get surveyed. I don't think they're surveying people. I think this is just a matter of how many TVs are tuned on at that time based on the cable numbers. I think. I'm really not 100% sure. But 9.18 million viewers, it was the lowest viewed World Series game in history. Now, how far these numbers go back is not really specified either. I'm not sure when they started tracking this, when the numbers really became more quote-unquote accurate. I'm not even sure how accurate they are. But this is not great, I would say, regardless. Um, even if it's you know maybe not 100% accurate. It's still not very good, and this comes a couple days after Major League Baseball said that they are going to kind of reevaluate uh, the playoff format. They didn't say that they're going to change it, but they said that they will examine its playoff format and see what that means going forward. Now, something like this, viewership being lower than it's ever been, is probably going to lead them to want to change things back and probably take away a wild card spot. I don't really have a strong opinion one way or the other. I think whatever it is, teams will adapt, players will adapt, and it's just the way it is, right? Whether five teams make the playoffs, six teams or seven teams, it becomes the new standard. And I don't think that 
whether or not one extra team makes it into the playoffs should really be that big of a deal to the average fan base. It can, you know, it's going to lead two more fan bases or four more fan bases or however many teams get expanded or retracted from that formula to be happier or sadder, right? If they take away two playoff spots, then next year you're going to see a team that was one game out of it and they're going to say, look, we would have made it under the old format. And then you'll have the reverse argument as well of teams being really, really good and not making it teams being not great and making it like there's there's multiple different ways you can look at this from but I don't know that it really matters and I've been trying to figure out what angle to come at this from and I I don't think at the end of the day whether or not we have any wildcard teams two wildcard teams three wildcard teams we've we've mentioned this on the show before I don't think people are ever going to really be happy and satisfied you could make it so that the division winner or the <clears throat> the league winner, right, gets a buy into the division series or a buy into the championship series, or even if they made it, and they never do this, obviously, but if they made it, the best team got a buy into the World Series, and then that best team ended up losing the World Series, then you'd have a bunch of people saying, oh, well, it was rigged, and there was one other thing that they could have done to make it more even, or whatever. People are never going to be happy, is what I'm trying to say. So whether or not they change the format, I don't think it really matters because they're going to keep making changes. Baseball is evolving very quickly over the last five or ten years before our eyes. I don't know that it really matters what they do because I don't think people are going to care for one and two. They're just likely to make changes again over the next couple of seasons. Everybody came into this year thinking the pitch clock saved baseball. The pitch clock is amazing. And I'm on record from before the season. You can see it on Twitter. You can see it if you go back and listen to old podcasts. Maybe you remember I was never a big fan of the pitch clock. I don't like that they did it. I, I've always stood by that. I've never been a fan of it. I like the way that baseball always was, where the pitcher, especially in the postseason, can take an extra second to compose himself, can throw over a couple extra times, which is another thing I don't really like. You know, We saw it in the 2004 championship series, right? Dave Roberts and Mariano Rivera, I think. I was pretty young, but I think that was, it was definitely Dave Roberts, and I believe it was Rivera on the mound throwing over and over and over. Couldn't get him out. Eventually, he stole second, and eventually that run came in to score, I believe. It it takes away from that kind of drama. <clears throat> you can only throw over twice, and then you know the guy's going to be likely to steal more. You're going to take away some of that drama from the late game. There's just a lot that I didn't like about these rule changes, and apparently it didn't blow up baseball the way everybody was talking about. Oh, attendance is incrementally better this year. Well, attendance has been incrementally better the last couple of years because people are starting to fully get back and comfortable after COVID. There are still people, you know, we're not going to get into the COVID debate here, but there are still some people who did not feel comfortable going out in public, whether they had a health problem, whether they have you know, immunocompromised, whether they had whatever it is, people are still generally getting back to the ballpark these last couple of seasons, more so than they were in 2020. Obviously, 2020, 2021, people were not really going to games. In 2020, you couldn't really go to games at all. So these numbers that they were trying to tout earlier in the year as being, you know, the attendance is back up. It's up 10% or whatever it is. The highest income, you know, the highest year-on-year increase in 20 years and whatever they were trying to bullshit us and say things like that. I don't know that it really made the game more popular. And judging by this, maybe it didn't. Now, you could argue, well, it's not a great World Series matchup, so that's why it is. You have the best offense in the American League and the Rangers going up against a young and hot team with one of the best young players in baseball in Corbin Carroll, one of the best pitchers in all of baseball in Zach Gallen. Why are people really baseball fans at that point? Are they not watching the World Series because they're protesting? Really? Like you'll only watch it if the Phillies are in the World Series? I don't know. I think maybe they just didn't expand the game as much as they maybe thought they did by having these pitch clock numbers. I don't know that the average fan, and I said this again before the season, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I did say this. I don't know that the average fan gives a shit 
if you're going to have a three-hour game or a two-hour and 45-minute game or it's going to be three hours and 10, 252, whatever it is, if you're not going to sit there and dedicate yourself to watching a baseball game, I don't think that extra half an hour matters. You'd think that they were curing cancer in this half an hour based on the way people were answering. But it's really not done much for the game, I don't think, and we can kind of see that based on the World Series viewership numbers here. I don't want to harp on it too much, but the league thinks they are so smart. Major League Baseball thinks that they are just geniuses. Manfred believes he walks on water. I, I firmly believe that. I don't think he even really cares about baseball. He cares about money and lining his pockets. So I think they're going to make the decisions that lead to more money for the owners and lead to more money for Manfred. Don't think it really matters what the average fan thinks, what the analysts think, what the players think. I think the league is just going to do whatever makes them the most money, and people are going to complain. People are going to be angry. I don't think the league really gives a shit, though, so I think that's kind of where we have to look at it from. Even if you're mad that your team got kicked out this year, I, I don't know that the league is really going to care. You're a Dodger fan. You're a Braves fan. You're a Phillies fan. You're an Astros fan. Don't expect the league to do much for you in particular. I mean, maybe they take away a wild card team and makes it a little bit easier for your bunch next year. But like I said, you know, there will be teams that get kicked out early next year. There will be a favorite that gets beat by an underdog in the 2024 playoffs. It'll happen. It always does. And that fan base will be mad, and that's just kind of the cycle of life here in baseball. But let's talk about this matchup that's happening tonight, and not so much from tonight's point of view, because I know a lot of you, probably most of you, are here for fantasy baseball talk. So we're going to talk a little bit about the implications of these two pitchers and their performances from a fantasy baseball point of view. We're going to start with Max Scherzer. Now, we didn't get the greatest bit of news on Scherzer. That, well, first of all, he will be pitching tonight. But according to the uh, – where is this report that I saw earlier today? It was on my – it was in the news feed here. Um, here it is. It's, it's really ugly, just the title of it. Scherzer being glued together for Game 3 start. <laughs> That's the first line of the article here. Max Scherzer is being glued together to make his start in World Series Game 3. The three-time Cy Young winner has cut on his pitching thumb that developed when he returned October 18th from his five-week layoff caused by the strained muscle in his shoulder. Now, I have been talking about how it's really good that Max Scherzer was able to come back and he's pitching. But it doesn't seem like he's actually really particularly healthy. Um, Scherzer said that they found a way to use cotton and super glue in a way that provides a layer to not get it cut. Now, this is going to be controversial, I can already tell. He's got cotton and super glue on his finger, on his pitching thumb. If he throws a gem, there's going to be all kinds of people, especially probably coming from the Arizona side, that say, well, I wonder what was in that glue. I wonder what they put on that cotton. I wonder what was going on there. I don't know. I don't think that there's any kind of nefarious activity going on here. I just think more so the important thing is that Scherzer is really not healthy and they're throwing him out there. I mean, I know we're talking about a cut on the thumb. That's really not the biggest of deals as of right now, but it compounded with everything else. I mean, it's not great. I, I'm not really that intrigued anymore with Max Scherzer after seeing how he's performed these last couple of starts. There's been no strikeouts. The control has been iffy at best. Now, they were both against Houston. Different team entirely he'll be facing tonight in Arizona. And I, I think we have to start thinking about where this is going to impact pricing for next season. Max Scherzer is not somebody that I think is going to go terribly high. And based on the early results in drafts, I should say, because there have been four drafts so far, he is going on an average pick of 136. He's going in the range of 117 to 172. 
Now, I thought him pitching in the playoffs at all was probably going to move his price up because you'd rather see the guy go out there and pitch, even if he's not you know, pitching amazingly. He doesn't have to throw a perfect game or a no-hitter or anything like that. Just get out there, give you a couple of solid innings, even if it's not amazing, right? You'll take it because he's healthy. If he couldn't come back at all, then you have a lot of people speculating all offseason. Oh, I wonder what he when he could have been healthy, when he would have come back, hypothetically speaking. We don't have to deal with those questions. As of right now, we're just wondering about how healthy he is exactly. And the performance so far in the playoffs has been bad. The health is in question, and he is getting fairly old, Max Scherzer. He is not a spring chicken anymore. I'm not really that interested, even though I thought that I would be based on him coming back. Now, he could have two more starts potentially in this World Series. Because if it does go the distance, he's projected to pitch tonight. Obviously, he's going to pitch tonight. And then Game 7 would be lined up for Max Scherzer again. So there's a chance that Scherzer throws two gems, wins World Series MVP, and that price goes up 50 slots. It's possible. I don't think he's going to do much for his draft cost right now. And it can lead, potentially, to an opportunity where I would be interested. Because if Scherzer does get shelled a couple more times, or even if it's just once, like let's say he gets shelled pretty bad tonight, He's not looking like himself, and the Rangers end up losing the World Series, and that's the last we see of Scherzer. This price probably goes down a little bit more, and that's where people will kind of overreact a little bit to small sample sizes. If it does continue to go down, we're already talking about getting Scherzer the cheapest price we've ever seen him, at least in terms of like Scherzer as an ace. I'm not talking about his first couple years when he coincidentally was a Diamondback. In the time that Scherzer has been an ace, which is more than a decade now, you've never seen a price this cheap at 136 Granted, again, these are early draft prices. We're talking four draft champions. These are going to move around these prices, absolutely. Some of them will stay the same. Some of them will move dramatically. Scherzer's is one that has the potential to really move. And I think if it is a bad start, we see it probably go down a lot farther. And then I am going to be interested. Like, as of right now, I'd probably still take one or two shares of Scherzer where he is currently going. But let's say it's a bad start. He goes down 20, 30 picks on average, and you're getting him, like, round 10 or later. You're still talking about somebody who can be a really good pitcher, and even though this year was a really bad season, if you just look at the numbers, not at the trajectory or the anything like year over year, just this season, a 28% strikeout rate with a 7% walk rate. You are looking at, in terms of the Sierra, which I think is probably the best indicator, 377, which is really solid. His ERA was 377. His XERA, 328. His XFIP, 4.02. You're looking at that, and you're saying, that's a really good starting pitcher. I'm getting that in round 10 with that strikeout upside. I'm taking it. To go along with the fact that he's pitching for a very good team, he's got another year. Uh, he waived his opt-out with um, his trade to the Rangers. So I don't think he has that opt-out anymore. I think he will be there for sure next season. I think I'm probably going to have a share or two, but I, I do think that these games right now, while they don't mean a ton for me from a fantasy point of view, like, Obviously, I'd rather see him go out there and give good performances than get shit on. That's that's obvious. But I don't know that it should necessarily change your impact or change your view on a player so, so much. But I think that there will be a change in the way that the average person does view him based on the playoffs. It happens with everybody. We see it every year. There's a couple of guys who are really hot in the playoffs. There's a couple of guys who are miserable in the playoffs. And it will impact their pricing, even if it's just in the early drafts. And to those of you who are listening to this podcast, there's a decent chance you are drafting early. I'd say Max Scherzer, where he is currently going, around 8 to 10 range, probably a pretty decent bet, considering we haven't paid anywhere near that cheap of a price for him in a long time. Now, this past season was his worst year as a, as a pro since he has established himself. The first couple seasons, I'm not counting. This has been his worst year in about a decade. But I don't think we can fully write him off, even though I haven't been 
terribly encouraged by what we've seen so far in the playoffs. So just to, to summarize my thoughts there, because I know that was a little bit of word salad, I like Max Scherzer. I think the price is going to be drastically, maybe not drastically, but it will be impacted quite a bit by what happens over the next week. And I think that it'll be a good buying opportunity if Scherzer doesn't go out there and just spin a couple gems. Because if he does and he goes up and he's being drafted in the 70s or the 80 range, then you do lose some of that value, obviously. He is a guy who's going to be 40 years old. He is on a general downward trajectory. I know I said ignore the trajectory for that exercise we were doing, but you still kind of have to look at it. You know, he has regressed over the last couple of seasons. But I do think there is a point where you get to a price, and this happens with every player, where you start to get interested at a certain price. And if it's Max Scherzer in round 10 or later, I feel like you got to kind of have some interest there. So I I do like him, but I do think that we're going to see probably his playoff performance move around his ADP more than it probably should. And that goes for a lot of people, including the next guy we are going to talk about as well. That would be Brandon Fott. Brandon Fott is on the other side of this pitching matchup tonight. And it's been a tale of two halves for Brandon Fott, really. The first half of the season... He was somebody that was unstartable, not really rosterable, and just garbage. His first 25 innings in the big leagues, he had a 982 ERA. He had a 345 uh, average against, and he was allowing an 1,100 on uh, OPS. He was getting absolutely knocked around. It was really bad. Over the second half of the season, a much larger sample size, he had a 422 ERA. He had a 257 batting average against, and his OPS against was in the 700s. So... We got quite a bit better. If you go a little bit farther under the hood there for Brandon Fott, and you look at the strikeout and you look at the walk rates, in that first half sample size, 17% strikeout rate, 8% walk rate. A very uninspiring 9% strikeout minus walk. In the second half, 24% strikeout rate, 24.4, with a 5.4% walk rate, which is nearly a 20% strikeout minus walk. That's where you're getting close to the elite range. You're not in the elite territory, really, at that point, but you're pretty close. 406 XFIP in the second half really, really improved. Now, what we have seen in the playoffs has been an incredible pitcher. We have seen four starts from Brandon Fought with a 270 ERA, 22 strikeouts in 16 innings, only three walks. He has been incredible. Every time he has been out there in the postseason, you love what you've seen out of him. I think the price is going to start to get a little bit too expensive, though, with Brandon Fott. And that really, again, like Scherzer, will depend on what happens here over this next week or so, week and a half, however long it takes them to finish out these games. I don't think the players should really be impacted too much by their performance in the postseason. There are obviously exceptions. If a guy really makes fundamental changes and you see that he's changing his launch angle, he is changing the way he swings, if there's a pitcher who is changing their motion and adding a pitch in, changing the mix-up, There are things you can take a look at. Generally, I don't want to look at too small of a sample size, though. And as great as Brandon Fott has been in these playoffs, like I said, we are talking about 16 innings. Even if he has a good start tonight, let's call it another six. Let's call it 22 innings of really good baseball. His price has moved up, and now he's top 250 pick. He's going at pick 247 overall. Again, I will say these are very early prices that are going to move, but as of right now, he's a top 250 pick, Brandon Fott. He's going ahead of Paul Skeens. He's going ahead of Christopher Sanchez, Yu Darvish. Uh, he's going ahead of Michael Waka. He's going ahead of Kenta Maeda, uh, Shoto Imanaga, who's going to be coming over from Japan. He's going ahead of a lot of guys. Lance Lynn. He's going ahead of Reed Detmers, Edward Cabrera, Nestor Cortez, John Means, Yusei Kikuchi. There's a lot of really talented arms that are going below him. 
would he be going below them or above them if he hadn't pitched at all in the postseason? If Arizona missed the playoffs and we never saw fought or there was an injury or whatever, would he be going anywhere near this range? I don't think so. I think he'd probably be a post 300 pick. And that's and maybe it'd be in the 270s, 280s, but we're seeing him in the 240s. And that's probably not great. <clears throat> Excuse me. I really like Brandon Fott. The first time I heard of him was a little more than a year ago. And I remember in the lead up to the Arizona Fall League, our friend Chris Clegg, who does the fan tracks, or not the fan tracks anymore, the Toolshed podcast uh, with Eric Cross, who they've both been on the show many times. And Chris was really interested in Brandon Fott, and that led to kind of the people at FPAS, at First Pitch Arizona, kind of bumping him up their draft boards. And we thought that he had the potential to be like the next Spencer Strider, and we're kind of seeing that, not to the same extent, because Strider is one of a kind, but Fott has been incredible. And I think that part of it is, yes, he's getting better. He's had more experience in the big leagues facing big league hitters, and he is just going to get better. That's going to make you better. When you have more experience, whatever anybody says, the more you pitch, the better you are going to be generally. Now, it doesn't happen for everybody, but for a guy like Fott, who's a pretty highly ranked prospect, getting those reps in has been really important. Is it made him this good to the point where he should be drafted inside of the top 15 or so rounds? 15, 17 rounds? I don't think it is. I, I actually I actually think that he's somebody that we're going to probably be hurt on a little bit because I think the skills are better. But I don't think that he is suddenly going to be somebody that's this good. And I think the price, honestly, has a chance to even go up even better, even higher. Um, whether or not it's the top 200 or 210 or whatever, I think that it's just going to keep going up because that's kind of the nature of pitching, the pitching in drafts, especially high-stakes leagues, which are held on the NFBC. People will push up pitchers. If you see a guy, you know, if Strider and Cole come into the year and their ADPs are like 13 and 15, those will move up to like 7 and 10 because that's just kind of the way that it works uh, on, you know, in certain leagues. Not in every league, but in certain leagues. And that will kind of have a ricochet effect across the board. Every pitcher is going to kind of be pushed up a round or two because that's the way, the way it happens come February, March. If Brandon Fott's going anywhere close to that top 200 range, I don't think you can really touch him. Now, if you want to, if you play in a bunch of different leagues, you want to take a chance on him in one league for sure. But this is one of those one of those cases where we're maybe artificially inflating it just because he's done really well under the spotlights. And there is some merit to that. But there's also some you know merit to looking back at previous, you know, great performers in postseason history. The one that comes to mind, the first one, and I know it's a different situation, a different player. He's a position player, but it's Steve Pierce. Steve Pierce won the World Series MVP in 2018. The Blue Jays traded him to the Red Sox that year. They got back Santiago Espinal in return, and it was a fairly even trade, I guess. Uh, but Steve Pierce popped off, and he won World Series MVP for the 2018 Red Sox. I don't remember, but I'm sure his price was elevated a little bit the year after. Should it have been? No, not at all. It's a, it's a hot couple weeks. Now, with Brandon Fott, it's not the same, but it's that same kind of logic of, well, he had a hot couple weeks. He's had a really good few starts. And, yes, he was better in the second half, but his ERA was still above four. You know, the raw skills were there. The raw skills were better. But let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's not be pushing Brandon Fott up to the point where he is a top 170 pitcher, 170 player, because that's when you kill the value. And this is what I was talking about last week with Royce Lewis. And we need to collectively do this as a community. This is on everybody. Don't push these guys up too far. It makes it no fun. It makes it no fun when you have to pay a third-round price for Nolan Jones and a second-round price for Royce Lewis. Take him where they should be going, the fifth, sixth round, whatever it is. With Brandon Fought, it should probably be about round 17 to 20 kind of range. I think that's in a 15-teamer I'm talking about. If you're talking a 12-team league, 
Brandon Fott is maybe right now on the cusp of like, yeah, he's the last round or two you can take a shot on for upside. But he's not somebody that I'm going to be pushing up aggressively just because he's had a couple of good postseason starts. It's really impressive, but it's also a very small sample size, and we have to kind of look at the whole the data as a whole instead of just looking at what have you done for me lately, which is a trap we can all fall into from time to time, but it's something we got to be really careful on as well. But that'll do it for us for today. Let me know what you think over on Twitter at JoeOrico99. You can also check out Ethos Fantasy BB and SportsEthos.com. We launched some really cool new tools on the website. Uh, either last night or this morning they went live. I think it was yesterday, actually, uh, that are in-season fantasy basketball tools if you play fantasy basketball. This will help you with your lineup decisions, with your sit-start decisions, pickups, uh, everything like that. You guys can check it out over at SportsEthos.com under the uh, NBA Fantasy Pass. But like I said... Check us out on socials. Reach out and let me know what you think. We're going to talk shortstops tomorrow. I know we were going to do that today, but I wanted to talk about some World Series business. So tomorrow we will review shortstops, go through 1 to 10. You guys know the drill by now. But until then, guys, take care. Have a great night and cheers. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.